When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There was a new study that came out from Cornell University that got a lot of people's attention. It was a big paper that was drawn from six separate studies, and within those studies, they asked people what their biggest regret in life was. And it turns out, people don't regret things they do. They regret things that they don't do. The study showed that, ultimately, their biggest regret was not living out their ideal self. My guest on the podcast today, number one New York Times bestselling author Ben Nemton, decided to do something about the results of this study. So he and his three friends created the world's greatest bucket list to make them feel alive. For everything that they checked off on their own bucket list, they helped other people cross something off on theirs. Ben's message, A Radical Possibility, has since been featured by major media outlets like The Today Show, The Oprah Winfrey Show, CNN, and NBC News. Oh, and if that's not enough, he also created, produced, and starred in an MTV series called The Buried Life, which is probably how you've heard of Ben. It aired in over 80 countries and is MTV's highest rated show ever on iTunes. From playing basketball with President Obama to streaking a professional soccer field, from raising over $400,000 for charity to placing a record-breaking $250,000 bet on roulette, Ben's bucket list quest has inspired millions of people to chase their dreams and realize that impossible is possible. And you're going to hear all about this project and the backstory and the meaningful work that Ben is doing today on today's episode. I'm Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. Let's jump straight into this. We hopped on the phone a few weeks ago, and I think we were scheduled to talk for like 30 minutes or something. And and I feel like we ended up going for an hour and I just had a great time talking with you, getting to know you, hearing about what you're up to and kind of the exciting plans you have ahead of you. But um, I'm excited that we're getting to talk today. This is going to be so fun to have another hour together. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, it was really fun. And uh, yeah, we just kept talking. So I guess this is just we're just going to keep talking. We'll just keep up. We'll have you on for every episode for now on. You're just my co-host. This is great. (laughs) <laughs> uh, where are you at today? Where are are you traveling right now? I am. I'm in. Uh, I'm outside of Scottsdale, Arizona, and nice. um, I'm doing a. I'm speaking at a, an event called the Gathering, which is for Lululemon. So it's all their. Uh, a lot of their employees come to this once a year. It's, it, and it's it's actually pretty cool that Lulu does this. It's just just self improvement. So it has nothing to do with business, and it's all about you. So it's uh, it's kind of a cool event to to come to, and it's like a, it's a beautiful little spot you know outside of the city so that's it feels very much like joshua tree you know like big uh, boulders I love joshua tree the desert you know cactuses little 
desert hairs. It's really cool. That's beautiful. And you're speaking a lot right now, right? Like you, you're pretty much constantly traveling, speaking, presenting to crowds. Yeah, it's it's the way it's turned out the last little while. So I've been bouncing around the the country and in in sort of the world, which has been Good. really cool. Um, and you're enjoying it. Yeah, the travel hasn't caught up to me yet. <laughs> you know? It's, uh, but it's 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 been really it's been really cool to like one explore places that I've never that I never knew existed. It's like I was telling you on the phone. You know, I was in Shalon at like Lake Shalon in in Washington. If I'm even pronouncing it correctly, it's a, a, a lake in the middle of the state that I would never even I would never even knew it existed. Um, and so all these places that are kind of retreats that I get to pop in and, and experience. And then the people that I'm meeting are, I've been really been loving meeting people from around the country. And it's sort of, it's still a bit of optimism, uh, just in, around the, the people, um, in this country, you know, I, I'm, I'm Canadian. And so I, but I've lived here in the U S for about 10 years. I, I'm just continually kind of astounded at how many good people there are out there. And like, I know, I mean, I know this is what you do, so, you know, all about this, but I, as I mean, as you know very well, like we hear about all the other types of people, and I've just, I'm, it's refreshing to actually meet these people in every state that are just like salt of the earth, like want to do great things. A lot of them are working in healthcare to give back, and um, and so it's kind of just renewed my sense of optimism. So, so that's been, that that's been one of the unexpected side effects of the travel, you know, these, these two things like exploring new places that I never knew existed, little gems, you know, that really are just kind of local knowledge. Um, and then meeting people that are just straight up good people and, and like nice to be around. So it's been fun, man. Man, that's so good to hear. And it's it's encouraging to hear that you're traveling around the United States and you're encouraged and happy uh, about the people that you're meeting. Because when I think about Canada, I'm like, oh, everybody there is nice. Everybody there is kind. And I'm glad that you're you're maybe feeling the same way about uh, the United States. Yeah. Um, okay, so you grew up in Canada. Where in Canada did you grow up? I grew up on an island out off of Vancouver, sort of off the coast of Vancouver called Vancouver Island and in a city called Victoria. Oh, I know so Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. So Victoria, BC, it's beautiful. You know, it's a smaller city, but it's still maybe 300,000 people. So still a decent size. Um, and it's pretty Id- idyllic to grow up. You know, you have mountains for skiing, you have the ocean, you have lakes, you know, you're out in nature. I mean, you're on an island. So it's, it was a really amazing place to grow up. And then I, I moved down to LA about 10 years ago. Um, but I love to go back. What was kind of growing up in that context? Like what was your community like? What was your, what was your family like? So it was, it was, it was the type of place where we didn't really lock our doors, you know, or like it didn't matter. Totally. Sometimes we would. Oh, sometimes yeah. we wouldn't. I, I grew up the same way. Yeah. And, um, and you, it was very safe and, I just, you know, the the high school, it felt like you were almost in a bubble, you know, for better or for worse. I remember, you know, my friend from uh, from Oakland came and visited me in high school and he he just was like, this is like Pleasantville. <laughs> he couldn't believe <laughs> that this place existed, that it was so perfect. You know, it just was, I, I always like describe it as like, it wasn't a city that was too big where you had everything at your fingertips or too small where you didn't feel like you could actually leave. You know, mm. like you still saw people leave and that inspired you to also believe that you could do so and do whatever you wanted but it wasn't so big where you were around 
you know, people that were entitled or that you just, everything was so easy for you to get that you, you lost your drive. So a lot of really like interesting people came out of Victoria, like Steve Nash, the basketball player, MVP, oh, yeah. um, Nelly Furtado, uh, you know, Pamela Anderson who was from around where we grew up. It just was a, <laughs> it's just a, a really safe, like fun place to grow up. And the university there is fantastic and you know, one of the best in the country. So I went to university there, you know, I was living with my parents um, and life was, life was good, man. Okay. That's, that's great to hear. So obviously the, the, the big thing that I think a lot of people know you from is, uh, the buried life. And how do you go from kind of living in this town that, that feels a little bit like, you know, utopia or, or Pleasantville. And it sounds like it would be somewhere where it's easy to become content and satisfied and, and, you know, willing to just kind of settle in because it's a great location, great place, great community. How do you go from that to basically saying, no, 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 I want more. I want to pursue something greater than this. So I was kind of forced into <laughs> that mindset. You know, I mean, I, the thing is, nothing is ever what it seems. And I, you know, nothing's perfect. Nothing's terrible. You're all, you know, there's, it's, it's always a state of flux in between. And, and so for me, I, I mean, as I said, life was great. I I was I had an academic scholarship to to U, the University of Victoria, so this is my, you know, my hometown university. I was, um, you know, I just graduated high school, so I was excited to move on to the next chapter. I had an amazing group of friends and family, and um, and and also I made the national rugby team, sort of the U nineteen national rugby. That's team. a big yeah. deal in Canada, right? It is, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, third biggest sport behind hockey and hockey. So I was like, <laughs> I was stoked and. I also I played fly half, so just to give a kind of quick. Yeah, I don't know at all what that means. What that means? It's like for you know to give you like a football analogy. It's like the quarterback and the field goal kicker in one position. Oh, so wow. <laughs> you are calling the shots and in high pressure situations, and just by nature of who I am, I always put pressure on myself. You know, very highly critical, and always wanted to succeed, and just be liked by everybody. Right? That was just like. That was the thing that really ended up being almost like my Achilles heel because what happened was I put so much pressure on myself that I started worrying about my field goal kicks because I had missed a, a field goal at the end of this of what it would be similar to the state championship. It was like the provincial championship in high school, right at the end, lost the game, just haunted me. And I thought, what if that happens again when I go to the World Cup in France, when I'm playing on the, the highest stage, you know, and um, if I mess up, it's over, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's it. And I start, I, I couldn't get this thought out of my head and it would especially come to me at night in the form of anxiety where I'd worry about what if I missed an easy field goal right in front of the goalpost. And this anxiety caused me to be unable to sleep. And ultimately this lack of sleep over time, I started to fall and slide into a depression. And this was something I had no experience with, right? I was a type personality, loved being the center of attention, ton of friends, very social, high achiever. And all of a sudden I had trouble leaving the house. So I was unable to go to school. I, I simply did not have, I, I felt crippled by, I didn't feel crippled. I was crippled by this anxiety and this depression where I couldn't go to school. So I dropped out of school. I couldn't go to practice. And I told 
the rugby coach that I had a back injury and I left the team. And the reality is I, I just, I was, I, I couldn't go. And, uh, and I, and I digressed to the point where I couldn't leave the house. So I was really a shut in into my parents' house. Now this is like in the matter of months from everything that I just explained to my parents, just encouraging me to go outside for 15 minutes a day. And I would walk down the front steps and they'd shut the door and I'd go for my 15 minute walk. And I would generally just go and hide in my driveway for 15 minutes and then come back and tell them I went for a walk. So they would think that I had gone outside for 15 minutes. So it was a terrifying time. I did not understand why I was feeling like this. And, and you can imagine it was awful for my, my family and, and my friends and just, you know, so this was like all of a sudden my new reality. Did you have language to put on it? Did you kind of know, oh, I'm depressed or did it just feel like, okay. Yeah. Like it was, I mean, that was definitely the diagnosis. I wasn't like really connecting with any doctors in a meaningful way, you know, or therapists. So later I would learn how important that is. But at that point I was very closed off to any of that, which by the way, most teenagers are right. So I ended up being sort of dropping out of school, dropping from the rugby team and all this, you know, sort of becoming a recluse. And then my friends came and now I'd, I, I, it was the summer after I dropped out of school and they said, Ben, we're, we're moving to Banff, Alberta for the summer. And uh, we're going to work there. It's going to be fun. And then we're going to come back and go to school. You should come with us. And I really, I didn't feel like doing anything. So they very much, you know, almost forced me to come with them. And so I go to this new town and I get a job, start meeting new people. I slowly start talking about really what's happening, what I'm feeling like, what's going on. I start feeling some self-worth because I'm on my own. I'm, 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 you know, I've got this job. I, I'm feeling like I'm contributing. I'm, I'm getting sort of inspired by these new young people that I'm meeting that are, have traveled the world or uh, started their own businesses. And I, I slowly start coming out of my fog, right? And, and like this is over you know, a few months where I start to feel better. And, and ultimately, many things that I did, you know, there are many things that I did to, to feel better and practices that I make sure I do to make sure I, I always feel or I try to feel good. But you know, one of the things that I'll mention because it's really pertinent to the story is I really noticed that, that, that I was affected by the people that I was surrounded by, that I chose to surround myself with, namely these new people that I had met over in this new town. And I was like, wow, this really has an effect on my well-being. And I'm also like fired up about all the things they're doing. So it makes me think about what I can do. Um, and so I drove, driving back, I, I made a decision to try and surround myself with people that inspired me. And this small decision would completely change the path of my life. Because I came home and I thought about my friends and who inspired me. And not many of them sort of checked that box. But there was one kid that I knew from the neighborhood from growing up. And his name was Johnny. And Johnny was a self-taught filmmaker. And he would make movies of him and his friends in the neighborhood. And at the end of every summer, all the kids in the neighborhood would go watch the movie. And it was really cool. Really like just an awesome thing to be a part of. Um, And I was never a part of that. (laughs) But I wanted to be. So I, I called up Johnny and I was tentative because he took my sister to prom. So I was like, conflicted about whether I should reach Oh, yeah, him. that's weird. So, but I said, Johnny, let's make a movie. And he was like, I just talked to my friend Dave about this. And he's, he, he was also 
you know, interested in doing something. And so I said, I'll, I'll call your older brother Duncan and let's all get together and let's talk about making a movie. And, and so that's what we did. We, we got on Skype and they were at McGill University in Montreal and I was in Victoria and we'd get on Skype and we started talking about this, this movie that we wanted to make, but we didn't know what it was going to be about. And then Johnny in first year university at, in English class at McGill gets assigned a poem as required reading in English 101. Uh, the poem is called The Buried Light. It's a 150-year-old poem. And something in it strikes him, and he brings the poem back to us. He says, guys, read this, these four lines. And the four lines of the poem, which I'll share, are, but often in the world's most crowded streets, but often in the din of strife, there rises an unspeakable desire after the knowledge of our buried life. And he said, guys, this poem, is this 150-year-old this poem is articulating this feeling. It's beautiful. Yeah, that we can't articulate, basically. That we have all these things that we want to do, but we don't do them because they get buried by schoolwork day-to-day, by life. And there's these moments when we get inspired, but that ultimately ends up getting buried. And so we thought, okay, let's take this name and call this movie The Buried Life, even though we don't know what it's going to be about. <laughs> so now you've got a title. So now we've got a title. You've got a title and filmmakers. Yeah. And we say, okay, now how do we unbury these things? And we thought death was the only thing that shook us enough to realize and to like think about what was important. The, if we really internalized that we weren't going to live forever and we could die at any moment, like what do we want to do? So this question, what do you want to do before you die, became this kind of mantra that we would ask ourselves and ultimately anyone we came into contact with and if the answer to this question came this list, which was like the most epic bucket list we could ever think of. Sort of if you could do anything, if you had $100 million in your bank, what would you do? And our answers were like, go to space, make a TV show, write a number one New York Times bestseller, sit with Oprah, pay off our parents' mortgage, tell a judge you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> you know, like all these really kind of like really crazy things that we never thought we would ever do. And you all collectively worked on that list together. It's like a list that the four of you made. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then we thought, okay, if we go after this list, we're not going to be able to do any of this stuff without the help of other people. So how about every time we cross something off, we'll help a stranger do something they want to do. And we'll ask, you know, just people on the street, wherever we go, what do you want to do before you die? And if we can help them do that thing, then we will. And we'll try and do one for one. And we'll we'll go on a two-week road trip and we'll cross off as many things as we can and we'll help as many people as we can and we'll make a movie about it. So Amazing. this is 2006. I love it. 2006, okay. 2006. So so that was the goal. So we just hustled to get together, you know, uh, uh, we bought a camera on eBay. We worked extra jobs. We built a website with our 100 dreams. We... Um, Got a, a, a pretended we had a production company and like cold called companies. No, that's like the way to do it. From for money <laughs> to sponsor our film, and we, a juice company gave us two thousand dollars to pay for all of our gas, and then we we board an RV basically, like out of a uh, we literally pulled it out of this marsh because it was in the backyard of Johnny and Duncan's uncle's house, and the, and we took the RV to a mechanic. The mechanic's like, this thing isn't going to make it back, <laughs> so. We like almost didn't go because we didn't have the money to tow it back if we didn't make it. But we're like, screw it, like we're just gonna we're gonna do it. And we like lie, you know, sort of fib to our bosses that we had to take two weeks off work at the end of the summer before we went back to school to do, you know, we had weddings or whatever. And we the real mission was to go on this road trip. 
So this is like kind of the mission, right? Yeah. We're, we're kind of like, we're just beg, begging, borrowing, and stealing to get it together. And at this point, do you feel like you're you're kind of coming out of your depression because you've got this purpose, you've got this mission, you've got this goal? I think that in a large part, I, what I've realized, because I've gone through another dip, and we can talk about that, but yeah. I, I noticed that there's patterns of things that I am really actually suppressing that contribute to my mental fitness and well-being. Um, and, and, and one of those things is creativity. So like when I start to suppress my creativity and um, like I can always feel it, like I want to do these things, like these whatever it may be, like make a video or do this. or uh, And I'm usually like I don't have time to do that. So I suppress that. And uh, for me, Buried Life was like my first real creative outlet. Um, and it was so much fun. Like we were, you know, producing before we even knew what producing was. We were filmmaking, even though I had no experience whatsoever filmmaking. Um, we were connecting with people. We were having fun doing little skits. And, and that was kind of always my dream was like to, I always wanted to make like a, a an SNL, like skit show, you know, like a, a sketch show with my friends. Um, and so we ended up putting that on the list, like make a TV show it was like on the list. And so th- what I loved about it was like, we were, I was working with people that were inspiring me and pushing me to think bigger and, and, and extend myself and step into discomfort and, um, and, and piecing it all together for this road trip where it was going to be a lot of fun. So at this point it was no more than that though. Right. Like it was just, this was like, we didn't even tell people really what we were doing Yeah, because it was so weird. <laughs> like it was like a lot of times when we were trying to get sponsors, people were like, no way. We're not going to fuel your boost cruise basically. Like people. Oh really? Was, so they just didn't even think that it was something of value. Yeah, exactly. They just thought it was like a couple lads going out on a, you know, going for a piss up around the, 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 the around BC, just having fun. Um, and uh, so we didn't really tell very many people. And, and so we left on this trip and uh, the first list item was to be a knight in shining armor. So it was like, wanted to, I just wanted to do sort of my daily to do's in a, in a, in a suit of armor. And I was able to like get this full, like you, like a full suit that you would see in a museum, you know, just with a hel- chainmail and a helmet and a sword and everything. And um, essentially called all the news sort of stations in Victoria and said, we were, we we're going to do this big stunt and we didn't really know what we were, we were going to do. And I, I stepped out of this, this crappy RV that we had sort of re- made run. And um, I was in this full suit with a sword and, and sort of sweating. And I was like, oh no, there's all these news cameras on me waiting for me to do something. And then there's this six-year-old boy walking with his mom holding a plastic sword. And you can just see, as soon as he sees me step out, his eyes just go wide, like, you know, loonies. I'll say it for all my Canadians out there. And he doesn't say a word. He just lets go of his mom's hand, runs over to me, and then kneels down and bows his head. No. So, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I got to knight this kid. I'm a knight. So I knight him. And then all these kids are running from, I don't know where, but they just coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> they all gather around me. And I start knighting all these kids in a circle. And, you know, I'm taking, I'm, I'm escorting them across the road, you know, just like doing my nightly duties. And uh, so we're feeling good, right? We've crossed off a list item. And the next day, we leave officially and we pick up the paper. And as we go, we sort of realize, 
wow, we actually crossed off two list items because on the front page of the newspaper is a photo of me with the little boy with the plastic sword. And so we're like, that was uh, number seven on the list. Make the front oh, page of the newspaper. That's beautiful. That's so now, amazing. yeah, so this sort of starts this journey where now we're, we, we, we just hit the road and, and people are stepping up in the most unexpected ways to help us cross things off our list. And then we're realizing that we can actually help other people do the things on their list through the help of other people. So we're really just connecting people that need help with people that can give and, and realizing these bucket list items. And so it's this, you know, two weeks is this flurry of like crossing off list items that we didn't think that we could and helping other people. And we're really realizing the impact that that has on you as someone that helps someone else, what that feels like. Because we've never helped anybody before, really. Like, you know, we, ne- we didn't volunteer in, in high school. And so this was a big changing point for us where we've realized this, this fills you up in a way that doing things for yourself doesn't. Um, and so we thought we got to keep doing this. And ironically, we get an email from a producer that saw us on the news and said, hey, have you guys ever thought about making a TV show? And you're like, as a matter of fact, that's number blank on the yeah, list. Yeah, 53. Yeah, exactly. So it and now started this this journey towards like crossing off number 53, make a TV show, which ended up being we got offered a show in, in Canada, ended up turning that down because they wanted to own it and control it. And we wanted to be in control. And so we ended up um, just creating our own episode and then selling it to MTV down in the south. That's a pretty scary thing to do, though, to basically say, I've got this thing on my list. I My goal, my only goal is to make a TV show, not to have a TV show and own the rights to it and you say no what was your thought process there we were surprised by two things one by how much impact we were having just by doing what we were doing you know we didn't think anybody would care that we were going after our list in fact we thought it was a little self-serving you know we thought maybe the documentary will just be about asking other people and helping them um and that would be a cool doc but we'll do our stuff on the side but maybe we won't be in the documentary because it's a little selfish (laughs) Um, but we, but people really were in, just inspired by the idea. You know, they were just inspired by the fact that four friends went out and did that, and it made them think about what they wanted to do. And that was such a, a cool realization that, like, by doing what you love, you actually inspire other people to do what they love. Ooh, that's good. That's a that's a good line right there. I love that. Yeah. So it was kind of this realization that wow, this is working. You know, like we're yeah. getting the this kind of really like deep satisfaction from doing this and helping others. And when we got the deal for the TV show, it was just clear that it wasn't going to be our TV show. You know, the, the list item was make a TV show, not be in a TV show. So we wanted to be in control in some way, shape or form. And it was, it was pretty clear that we were going to lose that control and we didn't want to lose control of the buried life because it was, it was just so magic. Like it was it, something was happening, you know? Yeah. And it was resonating with people. And so we just thought, screw it. Like, and it, it was a really tough decision. Um, especially because everyone thought we made a huge mistake. And you, we even thought we made a huge mistake a year or two down the line when we, you know, continued to do it our way and realized, crap, like we've just invested all this time and energy and money. Um, and like this documentary thing that we thought we were making is just probably not going to happen because it's like it's too expensive and who's going to buy it and and we just passed on a TV show and now where are we we're like in debt and we don't have anything. So 
but we really stayed the course. Um, and ultimately, yeah, I think it's the beauty of working with your friends or people that you, you know, really love is that they pick you up when you're down and you pick them up when they're mm-hmm. down. And that's good. Ultimately that collective will is much larger, is much greater than your own will. So we, we really persevered and, and ultimately, um, it ended up coming to, to fruition, you know, and then we checked it off. That's beautiful. And and tell me about, you know, the process of moving from doing this on your own, you know, with your own cameras, with your own goals, mindsets, crew, to, you know, then working with MTV on this, you know, it, it's got to change a little bit. Kind of what did that look like and how did things change? And, you know, what, what did that allow you to do and what did that kind of limit for you? Yeah, so big change and very challenging. Um, and by the way, this is now two years later. So it, it, just to give some context on the time uh, line here. So we did that first two-week road trip. We talked with the producer. We ended up turning down the, the TV show. And we're like, we're going to do this on our own. Back to school, fundraised the whole year. Next year, bought a purple 1969 transit bus, filmed with a crew from LA that we had funded for oh, two wow. months going after our list, helping other people, you know, with the intention of filming the documentary, right? So we filmed more stories and just like more magic happened. And, and then we come back, we're like, hey, let's put this documentary together. And then we sort of were hit with the reality of how expensive post-production is and that there's no buyer in 2007 for this type of documentary. And so then we hit this low. And then we're finally like, let's take the footage that we shot and let's make our own episode of the show we would want to make. Met someone that knew someone in LA and over a year got a meeting with MTV and then another year of like, you know, piecing it together and starting to actually, we moved to LA. And so now we're making the show and it's, it's way different, you know? And the thing though, that we, we made sure that when we did the deal with MTV, we made some stipulations that were, we needed to be executive producers of the show. We wanted to hire our friends that were, had been traveling with us for the last two years as our crew um, to be the film crew. We wanted to choose a list items and essentially have our hands in the edit and choose the music and, and basically not let them help us with anything. Because that was the whole, like the show doesn't work if they were making the things happen because the whole point of the buried life is like, how would you and your friends do it? You know, we're no different than you. So this is about four guys, just you know, or girls, but like this is guys going out and trying to make this shit happen. And so if you have a, a billion dollar network behind you, course you can do whatever you want so it was it was very like we were very intentional for lack of a better word when we structured the deal to make sure that we were in control of of the creative and you know in large part the show so uh so we chose the biggest list items we could think of and you know but now we were in this system which is a production of television and we couldn't just be us and our you know three or four friends and it was a team of 20 or 30 on the road and that was as scaled down as we could because what happens with TV is like you need to clear locations, you need to have audio, you need to have someone logging the footage, you need to have you know someone um, managing the the, loca- the scouts and all this stuff. So it was an absolute, we were jumping into unknown territory. And what that meant was that we really had to push back on the traditional reality television norms. And the reality television norms are such that whatever you do, it's scripted. So if you want to go shoot something for an unscripted show, the location that you go into is cleared. The conversation that you're having is scripted. 
And there's a bunch of people around you telling you, essentially, if they're not telling you what to say, they're telling you the beats to hit, right? So this just wouldn't work for our show. Like there, there were times where we were like coming up and, and surprising people with their biggest dream. They couldn't know that we were going to be doing that. <laughs> and there were times where we were, you know, like going after things like breaking into the CMT awards to ask out Taylor Swift. Like she couldn't know we were coming. The CMT couldn't know that we were coming. And so there was a ton of tension <laughs> where we ultimately, thank God, won. But it made it so much harder because we would film something and then we would pull off this miracle of like, you know, either breaking into the CMTs or, you know, we broke into the Playboy Mansion and all these things that like they said, we need to go clear these first. And then we had to go afterwards and, and clear them, which was a nightmare, <laughs> you know, because they're like, no, no, we're not going to let you air that because you just broke into Hugh Hefner's house. <laughs> so it was like this, this big pull back and forth. But ultimately we, you know, we would somehow clear these these locations after we filmed and uh we or we would and we would we would do the thing and not let everyone in the where we were where we were filming know that we had like cameras in the bushes and you know mics in different places hidden so it just made it like a whole new challenge but it was like it was the only way that the show could work you know yeah and you had that goal in mind and you're like we're gonna do it this way or we're not gonna do it what were some of those early challenges that you went after what were some of those things you wanted to cross off the list when we were filming the show? Yeah, on the show. Sorry. Yeah, totally. So there was one of them was Ask Out the Girl Your Dreams. So there was Duncan asked out Taylor Swift and actually phenomenally got in, asked her, and went on a date with her. So that was like, what? He, he went on a date with her? Yeah, yeah, it worked. It, it was, I, I'm actually still stunned that that worked <laughs> because my, mine was, I, this is, you know, Right when Transformers came out. So I was, I'm going after Megan Fox. So I tried to ask out Megan Fox and I failed miserably, right? Like <laughs> I stuck onto the red carpet at the Transformers 2 premiere, pretending to be a reporter. I had a microphone in, a, in my hand that was literally tucked into my pocket. And I got on the red carpet and I was, I had a moment with her and on the red carpet and I just like couldn't get like, have the guts to do it. And I totally blew it. So <laughs> he, Duncan completely cross that off i completely failed so do you still have to at some point or did he cross it off for the collective group like are you still waiting to to ask out your dream yeah like so i don't really want to anymore (laughs) Not that (laughs) nothing against megan fox like now i have a girlfriend that i'm totally head over heels in love with so you know and that's the thing about the list is like it changes as your as you change that's good i like that you hold it loosely yeah and as you change your goals change and so your list should change as well so it's uh there were some things that we did that i would never want to do again a streak (laughs) of field like i will never (laughs) put myself through that you know it was just so terrifying it was one of those awful ones yeah like it was in the moment and at the time it was something we wanted to do it and it, it the actual list item was to streak and get away so we wanted to pull off the perfect streak and so we went to an MLS game in Kansas City, and we got permission to film under the guise that we just wanted to experience the, the, the game, um, which is sometimes what we had to do, unfortunately. <laughs> just sort of. So I was dressed up like I worked for the team, and there's two, two of the other guys, Duncan and Dave, were dressed up like security for the field. And Johnny had a front row seat, and he was the streaker. And the whole plan was he streaks. Duncan and Dave cut him off as if there's the first security to him, 
They're going to tell all the security guys, I got them. And then they're going to hand it off to me, who looks like I work for the team, and I'm going to pretend it's a promotion. <laughs> and of course, none of this worked, and we all got arrested. Oh, no. <laughs> and yeah, so honestly, that was a really good plan. That was a really good plan. That's what we thought. <laughs> we all ended up streaking, by the way. So that was the one thing that ended up, we were very clear right away that there were more police than we ever thought could be in a stadium. And right away, he was Johnny was arrested. And so we thought, he was in handcuffs, and we thought, well, if he's going down, we're all going down. So we just <laughs> all streaked. So it was, it was mayhem, like four, three or four guys streaking at once. Um, it was really, it's actually on Vimeo if you search the Buried Life streak. It's probably one of the funniest. I cannot wait to go see this afterwards. The point is, like, so we're doing all these things that are really outrageous, but they're kind of by design, right? Like yeah. our goal, our thought for the for the show at least was like, okay, we're gonna have to go after things that are very outrageous because at the end of the day, the real um, the heart of the show is helping other people, but we it's difficult to lead with that and and sell that to a, a buyer or a viewer. You know, it's kind of just a harder thing to rope people into, and so our sort of philosophy always like start with the fun cool like sexy stuff and then even without them even knowing maybe even perhaps like after the show or before they like they may not even notice when they're watching it but like this the message uh, and the message being like one you can go after that thing because we're no different than you and also that like you get more satisfaction out of helping others and so these stories that we found of of people basically sort of unearthing their dreams um, were, were always the, the most impactful. You know, it was always the coolest part, you know, reuniting a son and father after 17 years or helping a guy get his dad who was homeless at a house, um, helping a girl overcome her fear of heights. And then and another girl like who lost her mom in Katrina never found her mom's grave. And because she was, she was, you know, basically from Katrina they were, some people were put in buses and, and relocated and she passed away while they were being re- relocated and she just didn't know where her mom's grave was. So we helped her find her mom's grave um, that was all the way out in Colorado from, from where she is, was miles away. So it was, a, you know, this, these really human stories. Um, it basically just from asking people on the street, what do you want to do before you die? And the other thing that we found is like a lot of the time we found that just simply – just being there to listen and asking them the question, just listening to them help was, was enough. You know, like some people, a lot of people just want to someone to, to be there to, to listen. I think I can speak on behalf of, of others when I say, unless you've really thought about it, you don't always know what your goals are. Or at least I don't have my, my like bucket list on the tip of my tongue. Like I don't have these things written down, but Somebody asking me, somebody, you know, diving into that with me, it almost kind of helps that come to life because I think we all have those goals, but I mean, for lack of a better word, like we, we, we truly do bury them. Like we'll, we'll suppress them and we'll push them down. And there's something beautiful about somebody sitting down with you and, and, and intentionally and truly wanting to know what those things are. And, and then even, you know, taking it one step further helping you achieve those things. And sometimes those are your friends and sometimes those are, you know, Canadian strangers on MTV. But I don't know. I think that's beautiful. And I love that people watching this show had the opportunity to think about, okay, what are the things in my life? You know, whether they're ridiculous or deep or somewhere in between. Yeah. I mean, I think what you said at the beginning is, I mean, it all, it, 
it all resonates. But the, the thing that I think is coming up again and again, and for me is this, people, you know, will have a good idea about what they want uh, for personal goals. You know, it's, but they are the first to get pushed to the back burner. Um, and this is just human nature. This is just what happens to us. You know, we, we, we prioritize things and as we do that, we lose time in our day and you have to prioritize those things that are, that are important to you so much so that like, this is the, this was a real wake up call for me. There's a new study that came out, um, by Cornell and a big, big paper that was, um, drawn from six separate studies where they asked people what at the end of their life, what their biggest regret is in life. And it turns out, it may not be a surprise, but it turns out people don't regret things they do. They regret, in large part, things that they don't do. Fascinating. So 76% of people, over three quarters of the population, their number one regret was not living out their ideal self. So not doing the things they really wanted to do. That is heartbreaking that over three quarters of the population regrets not being who they are, right? Like not doing what they really wanted to do because they're, you know, and there's many things that get in the way that we can talk about, but let's just talk about that as a simple statistic. That is shocking. At the end of the day, that's why I like to continue to spread this message and speak is because we just don't take the time to think about this stuff. And it's so important because life will just sweep you up. And before you know it, you'll be old and you'll be dying and you'll think back and be like, damn, I really wish I would have done that. You know, that's what happens. That's just, you know, that's just what happens because it's, 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 it's human nature. And so we really need to be like intentional about carving out time to, to think about what's important to us, not our friends or family or anybody else, but just like really look into our, you know, our hearts and our gut and, and touch base with that. And then we need to prioritize those things. We need to write them down. We need to talk about them to other people so that other people can help us. You know, we need to really be, you know, persist in those and, and make sure that we, we make those things happen. And there yeah. it's, yeah. So it's, it's a super uh, important uh, topic, I think. Yeah, no, it's so important. And I love that you've in so many ways dedicated your life and, and spent so much time helping other people do this. And, and maybe I want to take this a step further and ask, how do you do this? How do you live into who you truly are? How do you, you know, put these things at so much of a priority that you actually live them out and, and that maybe you don't die with that regret, you know, on a, on a practical, tangible level, how do you get started with that? Yeah. So I'm a big believer in making things simple and easy. And, and I think that this, it, especially for this topic, it needs to be simple and easy because there's so many barriers and there's so many reasons why you shouldn't do it in our minds that we ultimately don't. So simple, like just tangible steps, I think are super important. So um, one, like to preface this, I think it's important to understand that most people wait for inspiration to do that thing that they want, right? Like we've all been there. We were like, you know what? I just don't like, I don't feel up to it today or, you know, like I'm waiting for the right time or really like you're waiting for that inspiration. So you feel moved to do it. But the problem is that never comes. And that inspiration comes from action. 
that inspiration comes from actually doing it. That's when you start to feel the inspiration, when you actually start to create that momentum and you actually start to do it. So just like think about that when you're waiting for inspiration, that it's never going to come. It's going to come by you making it happen, by you actually that's a really good reminder. Like immersing yourself in it. And that's when the, the inspiration is going to come. So how do you take those first steps? Well, the 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 first is you know I believe to write down those things you know to take the time so you know whatever that might be for you but you know perhaps it's just quiet time by yourself maybe it's a conversation with someone else but take the time to think about what's really important in your life and and think about it through the lens of I right now have a hundred million dollars in my bank account and I can do anything. I have the ability to do anything. So if I want to climb Everest, I'm an amazing climber. If I want to paint for the rest of my life, I'm an incredible painter. So I have the ability and I have the means. Mm. So just pretend that's you know the case and that's how you write your list, okay? And writing it down is so important because you're actually, you know, if we talk about steps, this is the first step. Because what you're doing is you're taking an idea and you're making it real. So you're actually creating something, you make something that's intangible, tangible, um, and you're sort of breathing life into your to your dreams. Um, and a crazy statistic or you know piece of data is that you're forty percent more likely to achieve your goals if you write them down. So that is an easy forty percent, <laughs> right? Just write them down. Boom, you're you're almost ahead of half the population. <laughs> so that's why journaling is important. But like, you can just write down your list. So now the first step is writing it down. The second to kind of get into this inspiration and to start it going is sharing your list, sharing your dreams, sharing your goals. So I find it interesting that any other problem that we are faced with, any other goal that we are trying to achieve, you know, let's talk about a work problem you have. What do you do? Well, you reach out to your colleague. You say, hey, what did you do when you came up against this? Or you reach to your boss or a mentor. Or you do research online, or you talk with your community, you know, your friends, your family, and you ask for their advice, right? Like that's how we overcome obstacles is, is, is by casting a wide net, getting as much information as we can, distilling it, and then using what we think is the best, you know, nuggets of information to achieve that goal. We don't do that with our personal goals. We just feel like we need to do them on our own. And it's just much harder to do that. So like if you talk about your list, you don't know who can help you. And, and, and help will show up in the most unexpected places if you talk about the things that you want to do passionately and to the right people, right? So like I, I'm a big believer in, you know, one, just when you're talking with friends or whoever, just talk about the thing you want. Yeah, I want, you know what? I'm, I actually, I really want to write a book. I have no experience writing at all. But I, you know what, I just have this thing that I want to write a book about. And you don't happen to know like any authors, do you? And chances are that someone will know an author and you can then get connected to them. And then that starts the process. And the other part is like being intentional about your outreach. So you can actually then ask people, hey, do you know any authors? Because I really want to write a book. You know, ask that to 10 people. Chances are someone's going to know an author or they're going to have written a book, you know, so what these do is like they're, they, they start to like build little bits of accountability. So you create this momentum because that's really what you need to drive this thing forward in the beginning. Because most people don't take that first step. 
it's such a hard thing to do. Um, but you, you just got to build these little, you know, bits of accountability and start to, um, kind of move this big boulder forward Yeah, and get some momentum. I think about my life and I think about all the things that I'm most proud of accomplishing. And I, I think without even thinking about it or being this intentional about it, they were the things where I just spoke them out loud. I said, this is what I want to do. I want to be a photographer. I want to launch this project and I'm putting it on Kickstarter. You know, it's these things where you publicly are proclaiming this thing that you want to be true about you. It's not true yet, but you're speaking it into existence. And people rally behind that because, I, you know, like what you said earlier about the show, there's so much more joy to be found in and fulfillment to be found in helping others follow their dreams. And so, I don't know, it's actually great to think about that as just, you know, why don't I start doing this a little bit more as a discipline? And maybe there's almost like a shame aspect. I don't know what, I don't know what it is that naturally keeps me from wanting to say the things that I'm excited about or that I care about or that I want to do, but something holds... I don't know. Do you have any idea what that is? What that thing is that kind of naturally holds us back from naturally sharing those things with the world? Yeah, I think in large part it's fear. I think Mm. it's fear of just straight up looking bad, you know, and um, which is tied into failure. So people are afraid that that they might fail and and they're afraid of how that might look. Um, And I think just looking bad in general, it's just like, it's unfortunately something that really drives us um and so the irony is you know there's two types of failure there's a type of failure that comes along with being afraid so you never do it or you're waiting for the right time and unfortunately you just don't learn anything from that failure and you know being that timid ultimately ends up crippling you now the other type of failure comes along with trying and failing but what you learn from that failure far outweighs any potential, and I say potential, hit to your reputation, mm, right? That's like, good. That's how, you, that's how you grow. That's how you learn about yourself. And I mean, there's always outliers, but I truly believe that, you know, failure is a course correction to success generally. You know, when it, most of the times when I fail, something comes out of it, uh, at the very least, you learn something about yourself, but generally what happens is you literally like just like a compass, just move and you've, you shift your direction you realize, Oh yeah, actually this isn't really what I wanted or actually this isn't going to work. But what I just learned from this is X. So I'm going to take X and I'm going to go this way. And you know, I, we are in this, I think we have this mentality where it's like, if you try and fail, Oh, back to square one, but that's not how it works. I mean, you can think about like, I think we think about this with careers too, which is like, I, you know, which I think is also kind of backwards that like, yo, I I've been in this career for 10 years. If I start something new, I'm starting from square one. You know, that's a lot of times why people don't change as they grow. They want to try something different, but they stay with what they're doing because it's safe. And also because they think like, well, you know what? Like, I don't want to start again, but that's not, you recycle. That's what you do. You recycle your career and you use all the things that you've learned and you just upcycle them into something different. And whatever that is, has to you have to be passionate about it. 
so yeah, so I think that that it definitely just plays plays a bit of bit of a key, you know. You mentioned earlier that uh, that you can kind of evolve and change your list over time, and as you grow, you know, obviously some of your priorities are going to change. What are some of the things that you've added to your list in the last year or two? What are the things that you're kind of getting excited about, getting hopeful about? What are the things that you are starting to move towards that you hadn't thought about before? Yeah, good question. First, I'll mention the thing that we are moving towards that has been on the list for a long time, but it's just been <laughs> taken a lot longer than expected. <laughs> and that is make a movie, you know, make a, a documentary, which is the, the reason why we started Buried Life 12 years ago. We thought it was going to be a two-week uh, you know, process. And so <laughs> now we're finally finishing it, which is, which is really cool. And I think that like the number 100 on the list is go to space. And I think that would be you know, a, a really cool way to kind of end the film. And it sums up a lot of what Buried Life is about. But um, so that is something that's kind of we are reinvigorated by because it's getting closer to the finish line. That's great. That's really exciting, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So and then... Some new things that I'm adding to the list. Um, so buy a house. You know, I'm looking for a house with my girlfriend. So that's, you know, a whole new step, which is something that, you know, I wasn't really interested in a year ago. Um, yeah. And then, and then as I'm doing more speaking, you know, thinking about is, uh, is the next, like, platform, a book show, podcast, you know, for, like, spreading this, this message. So that's something that I'm, that I'm dabbling with too. And I mean, the speaking stuff was really something that wasn't on the list a year or a year and a half ago. And and now very much, you know, is because of, uh, it's just like so much fun and it's a cool way to spread it. But, uh, yeah. Isn't it cool how you can, you can try something once after never even considering it and realizing, Oh, I love this thing. Like, I'm so glad that I tried it something new because Honestly, if you just thought about the things that you could already imagine, if you only did the things you already could imagine, that's a very short list. And I love that you're, you know, you're like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak a little bit, and then you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, let's do more of this thing. Totally. Like, I think Tim Ferriss says uh, it well. He says, "Follow what's easy." You know, a lot of times we think that we need to struggle, and like, especially like entrepreneurs out there, like that you have to grind it, you know, out, and it's all about the struggle. And if it's not struggling, then it's not you know, worth it. But he says, like, look at, look at something you want to do and ask yourself, what would it look like if it were easy and, and, and follow that. And I think that come, you know, doing that and combining with like following your curiosity and, and, and something that like, just feels like it's just, when I say easy, like it just sort of flows, like it it happens. It's, it's not a huge struggle. You, you know, things appear and like more opportunity kind of unravels. And that's when you really, I believe you really, are following your, the right path, you know, it's, um, and there's a lot of different words for it. Some, you know, there's the, the far left. It's like the secret, the movie about, like, you know, putting it out there. And, but I, 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 re- I think it's just about, you know, really, um, stopping enough to listen to like being honest with yourself. Like, what do you really want? And being intentional about, you know, following that. And what's, uh, what's something that's, that's on your list? Oh man. Good question. I didn't know that I was going to get, uh, get asked this. <laughs> Um, it, I mean, one of mine is, is no joke. Like I 100% plan on going to space in my lifetime, you know? So that's like one of my big audacious ones where it's not really on like the heart level. It's not like this is part of who 
I am and what my heart is calling me towards. But it's just something that I've always kind of known, like, I'm going to go to space in my lifetime. In fact, I'm looking to my left and I actually, you know, in my office, I've got this jar that says space fund and it's old, it's an old Prego yeah. jar. And, uh, yeah. I taped over it with a, a piece of paper that just, says, that just says space fund and it's filled with quarters. You know, it, it's probably <laughs> tops $75. Uh, but at some point, you know, I'm going to cash that in as well as, um, probably thousands more dollars that will be saved up or something uh, and and buy a ticket to space and it'll be fun. And so that's one of the, you know, big audacious things. You know, it's, it's interesting that you asked because I, I, even in prepping for this podcast, I don't know if I'm asking myself these things. You know, I've, got, I've always got short goals, but for me, I've always, you know, if you'd asked me what I would be doing you know, two years from now, if you had asked me that two years ago, I would have never guessed that I'd be making a newspaper and hosting a podcast. And well, I guess we started the podcast two years ago, but like all these things, I never would have guessed I'd have a dog. And so sometimes I don't think that far in advance to think about where things could go, which I, I love and enjoy, but I don't know, this conversation with you is inspiring me to think a little bit more long-term and, and say, no, 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 what are those things that I dream of? Because I can be intentional about working towards them if I know what they are. I, I don't have to just, you know, go with the flow. You know, I do want to go, like Tim Ferriss says, uh, with the things that are, you know, kind of easy and natural. But I also, I want to make sure that I'm doing that with intentionality. And also, I think it's great that you're in it. Like, you're live, you're you're actively in those things that you, you know, for lack of a better word, put on your list. Yeah, you know, totally. And so, and I think that that's, that's the, the, one of the best places to be is like you're you're doing the thing that you love. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's about, right? Like it's about doing what you love. And if you can't do, you know, if the thing that you do for your for money isn't what you love, that's okay. That's totally okay. But just try and 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 make sure that you're doing some other things outside of work that you love. Yeah, you know, like that's a, neck, a and a list help is just a reminder that those things are there because they'll get buried, as you said. It just happens. It's it's completely normal that these things get sh- shoveled under, you know, the rug. But I think too, I I also think it's important just to note that, you know, you mentioned that go to space is it's kind of like a personal thing. It's not like a a big heart thing. I hear that a lot in the sense that some people um, are almost apologetic for their like list items that are totally just self-indulgent or maybe they're really small or like all that stuff is like completely. And I, I believe that's okay. You can't take care of other people if you don't take care of yourself, right? Like, you know, you know, on the airplane it says like oxygen mass will fall, put it on yourself before you put it on your child. Like, I feel that's the same way with, with, with life, like all these things, a life list, don't feel bad about having a list of things that you want to do or that are just for yourself or taking time for yourself. Or if there's no, you know, greater purpose than to just make you happy. That's, that is the purpose. That is, that is enough because if you're happy, you're going to, it's going to change everything. It's going to change the people around you. You know, it's like I said before, by doing what you love, you inspire other people to do what they love. You can, you're going to give back just by doing what you love or just by being happy. That's going to make such an impact on all the people around you and yourself. And ultimately, you know, that's really, it's what it's about. And like, you know, I think that you, we talk about, 
you know, you get more fulfillment from helping others, again, that's making you happy. So that's like, shoo, that's in there. So yeah, I, I just think it's a, like sometimes important just to note that because I don't want people to feel like it's this is a self-indulgent thing or they should almost feel bad because that I think is the normal way or the, where your head usually tends to go is almost feeling guilty. But um, it's not, this, you have to do this. I, I believe you, you, you 100% have to do this. Man, dude, that's encouraging. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for saying that. <laughs> I wanted to ask, because we talked about it a little bit earlier, how are you doing with depression stuff you know, now at this point in your life, because, you know, 12 years ago, you're struggling and, and you kind of started doing this thing that, that changed everything for you. Where are you at these days? It's interesting that you asked because about a year and a half ago, uh, I would have said, great, you know, I really haven't hit any lows. Um, but then a year and a half ago, I did. And I started to feel and notice like that I was seeing the same things and feeling the same way that I was back when I hit my low after high school. And I, as I slowly started to slide down, I sort of thought, okay, I need to make some changes here, or I'm going to just obviously go right back to where I was years ago. And, and so one of them was, was finding a therapist. You know, I never really found a therapist that I liked. So I never talked with one. And I found someone that I liked and not only liked, love. And I think that, you know, there's this big stigma around therapy, you know, not so much on the coast, but even I think to some extent on the coast, but I mean, I think everywhere there's this stigma around this being a therapy being like, because you have a weakness, you know, or you're broken. Uh, well, one, everybody does. And, and and what therapy is, is just, it's a, it's a great way to, Learn the tools that you need to be your best, right? Another way of looking at therapy is just self-optimization. You know, you're you're really just just learning things that, and and talking with an expert about life and uncovering blind spots that you might not see. And so, what I've learned is like these things that I one do unconsciously that are contributing to like a poor state of mind. So I can recognize them, and that awareness is super powerful. And also tools that I can use that when I start to feel this way that I do that, that I implement. And, and by the way, you, we just, let's just get this out on the table. Everybody struggles. So this isn't something that is just unique to, to me, to you, or to, you know, if you're listening, thinking like, yeah, I feel like this sometimes too. Everybody does to be human is to struggle. Some people struggle more than others. And some people deal with things in a deeper way, but just to know that you're not alone, I think is very important when you start to go through this process. Because, And this is all backed by data. Everyone will go through some sort of mental health crisis in their life, right? Mm. Whether it's the bereavement or whether it's in dealing with the bereavement or divorce or, you know, relationship issues. And so like, this is a scary stat, but more than half of the suicides are people that are not technically struggling with a mental illness, right? They're not diagnosed with a mental illness. It's just from people just struggling with stress or relationships or stuff like that. So this is something that is touching everybody. And so, you know, to try and lift the stigma off mental health as a whole is very important. Uh, and to try and lift the stigma off of therapy is super important because that's some of the, like, I wish everyone could go to therapy. I mean, I don't know why if you play basketball, you don't try and play basketball without a basketball coach. Right. So why would you try and do that with life? Yeah. The biggest game that you're that you're faced with is just like it's nonsensical. So 
you know, if you're able to and have the means to, and, you know, I think therapy is one thing. Another thing, and, you know, you talk about this and lots of people do is, is meditation. Um, I actually use meditation a lot as a tool when I can't sleep. So when I have trouble sleeping, I know that that's a bad sign. And that's a really difficult pattern to get out of. When you stop sleeping, you really start to go sometimes on a downward spiral. So it's really important just as a base when you start to feel like you're on, you know, shaky ground to make sure you get enough sleep. And so for me, when I can't sleep, I'll meditate and usually I can get back to sleep. Um, And I try and implement it as a practice every day. So that's another tool. You know, exercise is another tool um, that helps, you know, with depression. It helps your endorphins. It generally helps, you know, just stimulate your body. Um, And also helping other people tends to help me. So your brain doesn't have the capacity to think about yourself and someone else at the same time. So you literally are taking yourself out of your own brain, which sometimes is a good thing. And you're, you're thinking about someone else, you're helping them. And not only do you do that, but you also build a connection with somebody, which is really important when you feel depressed. You know, human connection is very important. So you're building a relationship with someone um, and you're, or you're deepening a relationship with someone and you're also taking yourself out of your own head. So that's a great way to kind of like another tool in the toolkit when you're dealing with something um, like that. But there's many different things. I could go on and on, but I don't want to sort of belabor it. But I just feel like there's not, this isn't necessarily a, a common conversation and and i really believe it should be because everyone should have these tools that they you know also medication sometimes you need medication that's okay you know there's just something that if you're in a place where you need to help getting out of a really difficult mind frame and that happens to be some medication that's all good you know um i think it's just important that you're also talking with a therapist as well so you're working through those things and not just using the medication. So you're actually, you know, working on solving those or not solving those, but working on those issues or problems or blind spots or whatever that might be causing you to need um, the medication. Or maybe you just need medication. That's fine too, you know, because like if you're diabetic, you need insulin. That's the way it goes. So um, a lot of stigma uh, and a lot of uh, sort of general awareness that I think is just not out there, yeah. which really hopefully, you know, will be in the coming, coming years. I'm so glad that you are, you know, so open to talking about this and sharing, you know, what's going on because you're, you're a public figure. You're somebody that people know and, and they especially know you as somebody who lives a fun, adventurous, and most of all, a meaningful life. And I think, uh, you know, there's even power in you just being, you know, uh, a male who's willing to talk about these things because I think so often we put people who are struggling with mental health in, in, in kind of a box or we say, you know, oh, they're this kind of person. And anytime that you can kind of shatter that and you can break down that stigma to say, hey, this is something that affects all of us. I think that that's so powerful. And it, it literally saves lives. Like it, it, it genuinely saves people's lives. And um, I'm so grateful that I grew up just, you know, knowing and admiring people who, uh, who were really open about their struggles and they, and they would say, Hey, it's, it's okay to struggle. We all struggle. And that has allowed me when I've come to places where I've struggled to already know in those moments, Oh, you know what? This is okay. Because this musician who I admire said that, or because this friend or mentor who I appreciated said that. And so, you know, I think it's, it's a helpful thing for 
you to say for, you know, of course, people who are struggling with mental health, but also people who haven't yet struggled because it's, it's laying that groundwork and saying, here's what it is. And, and I'm trying to do my part as well, both in my personal life. You know, I try to, you know, I tell all my friends, I'm a, I'm a huge evangelist for, for therapy. I love my, my therapist and uh, he's fantastic. And we've got a good relationship. And I, I really just, I think he's helped me grow just as, as a human, but also in my mental health. And uh, I think everybody should f- be able to find someone like him. And of course there's, you know, accessibility issues. And, and I long for a day where, you know, everybody has insurance that that covers it. But until then, you know, there's so many ways to just be in conversation about your mental health. And I think it can even just start with your conversations with your friends. And that really moves the needle to, to feel heard and to feel known and to know that you are not alone. 100%. And I'm actually glad you brought that up because um, I failed to mention it. If you don't have the means to talk with a therapist and or if you don't think it's right for you it's uh the same goes for talking with people around you that you love you know or you you care about so as you said friends and family just talking about it with um with someone that you know that you can trust and that you that you love either or you know but i as you said like somebody um because here's the thing you're gonna do that and they're they're gonna come back to you and return the favor in their time of need. Mm. That's what it's, that's, what's going to happen. True. You know? That's really true. And you want to be there for them. So think about it as this is how you can be there for them by showing them that you're open enough and you can be that you're, you're comfortable with them as a friend to show your vulnerabilities so that they can then come back to you one day with their vulnerabilities. You know, that's a good way to think about it. And maybe this comes full circle and saying, what a cool opportunity to support people in their time of need um, in the same way that, you know, with the buried life, you have the opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to help other people accomplish their dreams. And uh, when you're having this mental health conversation, it's essentially saying, okay, what are the roadblocks towards you, you know, thriving and living the life that you dreamed of? I'm, I'm going to work with you to do those things and to remove those roadblocks together. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, the two are one and the same, right? Like there's, a list is just a barometer so you can hopefully get aligned with those things that are important to you that are going to bring you happiness and joy and that will contribute to your mental fitness and health and well-being you know and so that's where you always want to have this sort of compass pointing towards um and i think a lot of people feel down in the dumps because they're they're not doing that and so this is just a tool you know a device so that you can you just keep that in mind and not forget about it um because it tends to get uh, put on the back burner. Wow, this conversation left me feeling hopeful and inspired and excited to reclaim the impossible. Obviously, the idea of creating a bucket list feels overwhelming. That's how I feel. I've never really made a bucket list before, but Something that I think could be really cool is for us to take Ben's advice seriously and simply start with writing out our goals on paper. Remember that there is a 40% increased likelihood of us actually taking action toward our goals when we write them down. I'm going to take some time probably today to sit down to dream up those things that I think are impossible and list them out. And I hope you'll join me. And then if you're feeling really brave, 
share those things with someone that you love and trust. If you don't talk about your list, you have no idea who could potentially help make those things happen. I also recommend checking out Ben Nemton's re-released number one New York Times bestselling book called The Buried Life. It is beautiful. It's fun. You'll appreciate it. And also do yourself a favor and follow along on his journey on social media. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at, at Ben Nempton. In this conversation, we talked a lot about mental health and depression and how that weaved into Ben's journey. And we would love to suggest Crisis Text Line for anybody who's listening to this that can relate to Ben and want to get some help. Maybe you just need to talk, whatever it is, Crisis Text Line is amazing. They're available 24 hours a day throughout the United States by texting 741-741 or Canada by texting 686868. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around. You'd also love my conversations with Jeremy Cowart and Jessica Hish, both inspiring, creative individuals who are using their talents for the betterment of others. You can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio edit mix the show, and Christy Karenbrock offers production support. You can get lots of hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at Good 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 CO. And remember, not all news is cynicism and flames. When you sign up for our good newsletter, you'll receive good news stories in your inbox every Tuesday morning, ensuring you find hope in your weekly headlines. Check it out and see what else we do at Good 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 at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and refuse to wait for inspiration to live the life you always hoped could be possible. Sound good? 